to Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. Let's hear the Word of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Excuse me. Or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may God bless these wonderful words of life to our souls as we hear them read. There's always one catechism question from the Heidelberg. It's like our shorter catechism. It's the most famous question that everyone, I think, knows or has heard of if you've been in the Reformed Doctrine camp for any length of time. And it is one that speaks to the providential care of God upon our lives. It is the question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And and I'm going to give the answer very shortly, but I bring this, this question, this catechism question, in line with verse 28, because it expresses much of that understanding. What is your comfort, your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation Wherefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. Quite an answer, isn't it? And it's filled with the richness of the knowledge that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, He is our keeper and our comfort in all matters of life and death. 
I, uh, when I began a ministry back in 2002 as an ordained minister, I copied that question and have had it posted on my bulletin board uh, ever since. And I still have it there reminding me in ministry and in life and in death. There is our comfort. You know, when it comes to this portion of Romans 8, especially verse 28, and that's what we're focused on this evening, just solely verse 28. You know, in all my years as a believer, and and as I was thinking on this, uh, this year marks my 45th year of baptism uh, as a believer. And and, and noting that uh, when I was 12 uh, 12 years old, um, that... uh, I, I professed faith and was baptized and began that journey of grace uh, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in all my years and in all my stages as a believer, if I may be a little personal here, I uh, was set in a bit of a fundamentalist, King James only, Arminian dispensational setting. And that for my early years was uh, the, the setting in which my, my faith began to mature. But even to the point now where I'm reformed and, and a Presbyterian minister, I have to say in all those times and years of my life, this is one verse that has stood out as perhaps the most quoted, memorized, go-to counseling verse of Scripture whenever an answer had to be given as to why the circumstances of life were so hard. How many of you have experienced that as well? Someone coming to you and reminding you, you know, remember, God is working all things together for your good. How many of us have heard those words? Maybe we haven't always appreciated them coming and meeting us in the midst of our trials and troubles, sufferings, hardships, griefs, whatever it is. But nonetheless, they are words that we have turned to. Whether you're Arminian in your understanding of grace or Reformed in your understanding of grace, it is one verse that I have found everyone holds precious because of the assurance that it brings. And that is Paul's purpose here as he closes this section of his letter to the Romans, to the Christians in Rome. That he is closing with perhaps some of the most magnificent words of God concerning the assurance of salvation and faith that is ours in Christ Jesus. But like all things, and I think sometimes this is the case with verse 28, sometimes we can rob a verse of its greater thrust and importance when we oversimplify it or when we strive to to take just a part of it to meet a believer in their sufferings and we neglect the the following verses that bring about a knowledge and an understanding of the good that God is at work doing and I'm going to get to this in in a greater fashion But you have to step back and ask yourself, okay, what is that good that God is utilizing all things, working all things toward? And He tells us in verses 29 and 30, 
That the good that God is at work doing is conforming you more and more into the image of His Son, Christ, who is the firstborn of all the brethren, of all believers. Christ, who came forth from the grave in triumphant glory. Christ, who, who perfected the law of God and the righteousness of God so that we could be saved and so that the righteousness of God could be perfected in us. We are being conformed. That's part of the good. And and it doesn't just stop there. It, it, It goes right up to the point where God's greatest good for every one of you and why He is working all things toward that good is for you to be glorified. It's for you to experience the fullness of your salvation, what your heart is groaning for to to be fully produced in you. We are completely delivered from all presence of sin and have gained that immortal and incorruptible body that is now fit for eternal life and glory in the presence of God. That's the good. It isn't necessarily that God is taking the circumstance you find yourself in and saying, okay, I'm going to work this so that something good is going to come to you. You see, that's the oversimplification that I'm talking about. He's working everything for good. And that good is conforming you to Christ. And glorification. Doesn't that excite your soul? (laughs) Doesn't that assure you? And whatever trouble and trial, suffering, circumstance you find yourself in now, that if you are in Christ, then you know God is working all of this for glory. And so I trust Him. These last 12 verses of Romans 8 hold for us some of the most gracious foundations of assurance that we can have concerning God's love and and that persevering hope that belongs to all of us as believers. And we need... We need these verses. We need that assurance of God's love. That perseverance in hope. We need such because it is a difficult life. (laughs) We live in a world that is hostile against the church of Christ. We live in a world where sin abounds. We have sin yet within us. We are struggling within our very souls to walk righteously and faithfully with God every day. We groan in our life as a believer. We falter and struggle against that which is good for us and right and true. Our love for God is always being challenged. How often trials, testings, temptations from Satan, from the world, from our own heart are seeking to rob us of love for God. How often does the glory of this world lure our hearts away from eternal glory? We suffer many trials, many tribulations, persecutions, griefs, sorrows, struggles with sin. What, what He speaks of in, in verse 35. Oh Lord, 
Haven't you ever just laid on your bed at night and said, Lord, Father, I groan to be delivered from this body of death. The hymn writer said, O Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. We're groaning. And we're groaning for our eternal hope to become a reality. And that is why Paul comes with these words to give that assurance of God's love and our hope that is steadfast and sure. And here he reveals to us where our hope is anchored. Here is where we realize that it isn't our faith. It isn't that we have believed and okay, and and I'm not contradicting, I'm, I'm prefacing what I'm going to say here because I don't want you to misunderstand. It isn't that it is our faith and our trust in Christ that has saved us. It isn't our hold on Christ that is the anchor. (laughs) It's Christ's hold of us. It is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. And He has laid hold of us with such a grip He spoke it in John 10. He said, there is nothing that can pluck you out of my hand. My sheep are held fast. And Paul brings us to that same point in these verses. To the climatic verses at the end of this chapter where he says, there is nothing. I am persuaded there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God our Father, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't there an amen rising up in your heart? Are you persuaded of those things? And here in verse 28, he comes to express five firm convictions that anchor our hope. John Stott said of verse 28 that it comes to be a pillow to rest our weary heads upon. (laughs) What a great picture. We understand God's providence. When we use that word providence, what are we talking about? We are talking about God who in His most holy, wise powerful, preserving and governing of all creation. When we say God is sovereign, we are saying that He is the one who rules and governs and keeps all of creation in holy, wise and powerful ways. God is is over all of these things and He is preserving and governing all things and all actions for His glory and our good. That is providence. 
And and it's not that we are able to know where providence is leading us in all things. It's not that we are able to know what is going to unfold from certain circumstances or things. But it is that we can look back. For us, providence is always us looking back and seeing the hand of God ruling all things in holy wisdom and power for His glory and our good. And we haven't seen the end of it or the fullness of it. And these these things that Paul says, there's five things that he says in verse 28 that become that anchor of our hope and assurance of God's love. And the first thing that he says there is this. He says, we know. And we know. Isn't that an, a, a nice bit of contrast from the previous verse? Uh, verse 26. Where in our weaknesses... We struggle at times, do we not, to even know what to pray for. And the Spirit helps us in our ignorance. But he comes to verse 28 saying, But we know, (laughs) this is something we do know. We are not to be ignorant of these things. Because this we know about our God. And the first thing we know about our God is this, is that God is at work. God is at work. And I personally believe uh, that it is focused here on the Holy Spirit within us. That that as this chapter has been all about the working of the Holy Spirit to building up our faith and our confident assurance in God's love, that it is safe to say that that the One who is working all things together for good is indeed the Holy Spirit. Not to say that the Father and the Son are are beyond this. Of course, they're all in unity concerning these things. But we know God is at work. We don't know how He's at work, necessarily. We don't know the wisdom behind what work He is always doing. But we know God is at work. If I could illustrate... How this is comforting to us. I want to take Jacob from the Old Testament. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, before he became Israel. Jacob, when he had to flee from his father's house because he had deceived his father in stealing the blessing from his his twin brother Esau. Jacob, who swindled the birthright from his brother as well. Jacob, who is known as the supplanter, the deceiver. You might think Jacob before his actual conversion and conviction to following God. He was making his way to his uncle's home, Laban. And on his way to Laban's home, Jacob had a remarkable encounter with the Lord Jesus at a place called Bethel where the promise of the covenant was dramatically affirmed to Jacob. 
that despite all the sins that Jacob had committed up to that point, God was being faithful to who he was and what he had promised. And so comes the the Lord to meet Jacob and he says this in Genesis 28.15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And listen to these words. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God's promise is, I am now going to work on your behalf. I don't know if Jacob had realized how undeserved and how unwarranted such a promise was to him from God. But it was an assurance that I believe carried him onward until he did return to the land with his wives and children. And he could look back and see that indeed the Lord had not left him. And the Lord had done what he had promised. Did Jacob know with that promise, did he know that he would have to work 14 years for Laban? To come away with the woman he loved. (laughs) Did he know that he would lose his beloved Rachel so early? The birth of her second son. Did he know that Joseph would be taken from him for over 20 years? The son of his beloved. Did he know what were all the benefits of all his sufferings? The answer is no. (laughs) He didn't. But what did he have? He had the promise of God. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Isn't that marvelous? I will not leave you. And then that is the essence of of what we know here. We know God is at work for us, not against us. I mean, you, you think John's saying the same thing in 1 John. If God is for us, who can be against us? And when we understand those words of God being for us, it's, it's understanding that God is at work for us. Think of Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. We know that psalm, don't we? And yet, when we read those words, can we say that the Lord has preserved me, has guarded and kept me from all evil. I've often thought on that. He promises that. Is that just a a blanket promise that doesn't apply to all circumstances? Or is that a real and true and firm promise? He will preserve you from all evil. I think back. Well, I can think of times when evil has come into my life and met me. 
Was, was God being faithful? Was God at work? And in one sense, the Lord doesn't keep evil from us. But in another sense, yes, He has preserved us from all evil. Because whatever circumstances have met you, hard, evil circumstances that has come and interrupted your life, it comes back to this. Has any of that ever worked to take you out of the hands of your Savior? And the answer there is no. We are kept by a God who works and who works for us. And He wants you to be assured. We know God is at work. And we know, secondly, within this verse, we know that God is at work for good. God is never at work for evil against you, even though evil may come across your path. Even though hardship and trials are coming to meet you. We, we heard it from James. Is God ever tempting you? And the answer is no. He is working everything for good. And it is primarily, as I've already expressed, it is primarily the end good that God is always holding before, uh, before us in, in everything. The final redemption, glory itself. We know God is at work for good. And, and again, understand this. It doesn't mean, Paul isn't saying here that everything that happens is good. From the pleasing side of things. <laughs> it doesn't mean that when something happens or cuts across our path and it brings grief and sorrow, it doesn't mean that we simply sit back, well, this is for good, so I'm going to be happy. We're going to experience the hardness of those things. But we know God is at work for good. And we have to apply that to everything. Somebody loses a loved one and the grief fills the hearts. It could be a child. I've said it before, I often say that I can't imagine losing a child. I can't imagine losing a grandchild. But we know this is working for good. It may not be good from the side of happening in my current present life. It may not be necessarily something that I'm going to experience anytime soon in the way of good. Jacob had to wait over 20 years to see the good that God worked through Joseph. See, it's, it's knowledge that keeps us. Discipline never seems good. Just ask any child. <laughs> Did you enjoy being disciplined by your parents? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yet, God says in His Word, it works a reward of righteousness. Persecution never seems good. Ask any who have suffered. And yet, how many times have we 
looking at providence backwards, read the accounts of such persecution becoming a catalyst for the salvation of many souls. We don't see that. In fact, those who are martyred, well, they perhaps see it from glory. (laughs) But God is at work, and He is at work for good. And we know that. That's the second thing. And we're building upon this. The third thing, we know that God is at work for good in all things. (laughs) Do you see how precious this is when you step back and unfold it? phrase by phrase and gain the force of what is being said here. And again, this truth, we know that God is at work for good in all things, is a truth to be most precious to us, especially when we are under sufferings and burdens. That is, again, the main focus and intent here. And what Paul is stating is that the sovereign love and wisdom of God is what is making everything, all things, come together and contribute to that goal of goodness. And we know this of a truth. Many things that are evil in themselves. Many things that bring suffering into our lives. Many things that are authored in sin with sinful intentions. It's a mystery to us when we see this and we say, okay, well, how can good come from that? But we know. And again, the testimony of Jacob and and the testimony that Joseph had to bring to his brothers who had committed the evil against him and who were fearful that Joseph was going to take vengeance upon them. And Joseph came to them with those words, you meant it for evil. He looked at all of his sufferings. Twenty years, well... Less, less some of the years that he got elevated to that royal place in, in Egypt. But how many years did he suffer as a slave, as a prisoner? Falsely accused. Treated so terribly. That he stands there before his brothers and he is able to say, because we know God is at work for good in all things, that he could look to his brothers and say, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Isn't that incredible? Many times, many times, there is this troubling aspect. People of the world struggle to understand, you know, how is God good when all this evil is around us? And what do we say as Christians? This we know. That the sin and the evil that you see around us is not God's doing. It's our doing. We are ones living in rebellion against a holy God. But this we know. (laughs) That God is at work for good in all things. And our hope and our assurance rests in that truth. And if you have any doubt, we have but our Lord and Savior to look to. An affirmation of God to us in the Lord Himself. Because 
again, I think this is where in our apologetics, in our giving a defense for our faith before this world, this is the one example and truth that we ought never to be ashamed to lay before the world. And that is, what is the greatest and the most heinous evil that has ever been committed in the history of this world? And that was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you go to Acts chapter 2. You look there at at, uh, verses... (coughs) Excuse me. At verses 23 and, and 36, Peter makes this statement to him. He says, he says there, Him, Jesus, being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that God determined, foreknew, had this as part of His providential outworking, that evil lawless hands would take His Son and crucify Him and put Him to death. God didn't commit the evil. But it was part of His providence and planning divine decrees. And it was the most heinous evil. Because here, the man who had done no wrong and who had spent his life doing nothing but good for everyone, there was not a person who was in need that came to him that he didn't help. His compassion was great. He was blameless in all his life. Here is a man who never transgressed a single law of God. Who displayed the righteousness and holiness of God before a wicked world. And he was hated and murdered and killed by lawless evil hands. And yet, What does he say? Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That through this heinous evil, God has accomplished and procured a salvation, a salvation that is sufficient for all His people of all the ages of this earth's history. A salvation that has met you, dear Christians, in your life. The greatest evil God has worked, the greatest good that we can imagine. And if you ever doubt in your own circumstances that God is at work, look to the cross. God worked goodness through the sufferings of His Son. I know God is at work for good in all things concerning me. And fourthly, we know God is working all things for good to those who love Him. Look to your own soul. And and here, this, this particular affirmation... Uh, that, that is purpose to build up your assurance of God's love and, and to build up your hope and make that anchor secure. This is where it becomes very personal, very deeply personal and expresses a measure of the limitations of the goodness that God is dealing with here. 
Paul's words here speak about how God is working for good all things to those who love Him. And here His words focus on your love for the Father as opposed to His love for you. Why? Is it because we are to be firmly uh, established knowing that our love for God is, is what is going to keep us? <laughs> we know that's not true because our love for God rises and falls like the waves and the tide of the ocean. And yet He wants us to focus on them. It's because true love for God True love for the Father rests in the knowledge of grace. Do you know when your love for the Father is more enhanced in your thoughts? Is it when simply good things happen in your life? Or is it when through sufferings and through hardships and trials and that, that you begin to realize how much more you are trusting in the God who has saved you to be the God who keeps you. Do you know when your love for the Father is more enhanced in your own life and thoughts? It's when you begin to focus on His unmerited love and on His abounding mercies. How many times have you come to God in confession of a sin that you have committed numerous times and you once again come before Him and you say, Father, forgive me for the sake and work of Jesus Christ. Cleanse me from this iniquity and give me a heart and a soul that will strive after new obedience in a more zealous way. And you come away knowing that you have been washed clean of that sin again. (laughs) Like the psalmist, you look up and you just say, Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul. Paul's focused on your love for God here because you have come to understand His incredible pardoning mercies that shine toward you even when you have sinned and fallen short of His glory. When you do that, even in those moments, you come to realize, I love a God who has bestowed upon me an unmerited love, grace, and mercy. And it's then that those, those words come and say, you know what, God is working all things for good to those who love Him. And the last thing that you see there is that we know that God works for those who are the called according to His purpose. And this is another qualifier to whom this assurance is given. Only here, it's focused, it's building, and I've left this to last, it's building up on all that He said thus far. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Here is the greater surety 
is that we are resting not in our love for God. Even though we can look to that love we have for God, that love for God who has been so merciful to this undeserving sinner, where we are resting in God's love to us, that we have come to know and understand that calling of God that has brought us to this place where we are in the love of the Father, in the love of the Savior, in the love of the Holy Spirit. Remember what John said in 1 John 4.19. And again, to answer, to ask the same question, but to give a slightly different answer. Why do we love God? Now, in this case, it isn't because He's been so merciful to us. The answer to this question, based on this, this affirmation, that we are the called according to His purpose. Why do we love God? Because He first loved us. Because He, he set His love upon us. Because from before the foundation of the world, God in His divine counsel said... You see that wretched sinner over there? <laughs> We're going to love him. We're going to call to salvation. Can you fathom those things? Not at all. God has purposed to save you. Your salvation was part of his divine decree, which is unchangeable and eternal and true. You who love the Father, you do so because he has ushered you into union with his only begotten Son. You have been called. Listen to how Paul says it in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. You have been called by the Father. The Father has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that amazing? 2 Timothy 1.9 According to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You see, this is the point. We know all things are working for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. You step back and just ask yourself this. Who am I that God should love me? I have nothing that I have done of myself that is worthy of His love. I have nothing in and of myself that is uh, beautiful enough for God to turn His head and look and say, Oh, this one stands out amongst them all. God hasn't set His love upon us like we do when We're going out to choose a puppy from a litter. And we're looking for the one that maybe comes toward us at first or the one that has special markings and colors or the one that seems the healthiest and not a runt or whatever. We we make our choices based on things that catch our eyes and that are pleasing to us. That is not how God has called us. (laughs) 
It is simply, and he says it time and again in Scripture, because I decided to set my love upon you out of my mere good pleasure, not because there was anything according to you that was worthy of my attention, but solely because I have loved you. And in that, God called you. And the thing about God's calling, as we're going to see next week, is that it is unchangeable. That it is something that will, once He has begun that good work in us, find its completion. It is not something that He bestows and then waits and sees if we really deserve it and then decides whether or not He'll leave it on us. It isn't God isn't fickle in those ways. But according to His purpose and grace, an undeserved, unwarranted love to an unworthy sinner. That's what grace is. The Almighty God has taken pleasure to love you. And that's why you can be assured of His love. Why you can have an anchor for your hope of eternal glory. Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose.